I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how are we doing? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal nil, Newcastle United nil. A frustrating night, but by no means a disaster. And I think that's really, really important uh, because I feel like a lot of people have been really reasonable with their reactions. A lot of people have looked at it and gone, well, this was a very good Newcastle United side who have caused a lot of teams' problems in the Premier League so far, have been beaten just once, are starting to convince people of their top four credentials. They come to Emirates Stadium. It wasn't quite our night. Uh, the game was very stop and start. It was a real dogged performance from our opponents. And we just didn't have enough to get over the line. But we didn't lose it. And that is the most important thing here because you're not going to win every game. Arsenal have won 14 of their 17 Premier League games so far. And if I'd have told any of you at the start of the season that we'd be in this position at this point, I'm sure most of you would have laughed me out of the chat box. So, you know, you've got to be, you, you've got to be understanding of the fact that these results will happen from time to time, that Arsenal can't win every single football match that they compete in. Um, not in a division as tough as this one. And, you know, we all know that the squad is a little bit short in certain areas and we'll come on to discuss that uh, a little bit later. You know, Mikel Arteta probably a little bit reluctant, actually, to turn to his substitutes bench in order to try and change the game. But we'll get into all of that a little bit later on, as I say. Uh, lots of you in the live chat with us at the moment. Big hellos to Daniel, to Afsar, uh, to Nav, to Peenyween, to Kelvin, to Dez, to Zebic, to C. WHS fans who says greetings from Texas Harry sad to see you leave YouTube we're not leaving YouTube I don't know why everybody's got this opinion uh, or this you know got this idea from we're not leaving YouTube the amount of content that you get on YouTube and in podcast format is not changing we are just going to be doing a little bit more uh, over on the another slice platform the details are in the description below um, the one that I did from Emirates Stadium last night post Newcastle was a little bit shorter than I would have liked. But that was because I was obviously working working the game um, for BBC Radio London and I had to run and get the manager interviews uh, before, of course, um, the opportunity passed. So sometimes when you're covering a game, that will happen. You'll get caught out. Um, sometimes a manager can take an age to come through uh, to give an interview. Sometimes they they arrive straight away. And unfortunately for me yesterday, uh, they decided to be actually quite quick about it. So that was why that one was a little bit shorter. But I have been thinking uh, about a couple of other subjects and I've come up with a couple of ideas and I'm going to do uh, another piece of premium content that will be available to you guys tomorrow. So on Thursday morning, uh, UK time, around about 11 a.m., you'll be able to access that bit of content as well. So an additional bit there. We're obviously going to do the post-match stuff uh, after every match, but we're also going to be adding more. We're going to be bringing back the members mailbag where members of the show uh, can, of course, uh, fire over questions that will make up the landscape of some of our premium content. If you want to support, you can do so by uh, following the information below and uh, and getting signed up over on the Another Slice platform. And I thank you in advance uh, for your amazing support. Um, big hello to uh, Henry, to Kushtrim, to Dan. Uh, 
to Johnny, uh, to Mark, uh, who says that the positive is that we made Newcastle play like Bolton. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, Afsar's a little bit concerned about our squad depth. Um, you know, yeah, I think I think a lot of us are. I think it's a really valid point. Fatality says, hi, H. Uh, one thing is for sure, we have zero attacking options on the bench. Uh, Robert uh, says, hardest game of the season last night in a big test that we didn't fail. What is critical now is that we get signings. Um, Pierworth says, uh, greetings, Harry, live from Uganda. Thank you for the great content. Yuhai Zam, have I said that right? Says, hello, all gooners. Um, yeah, look, great to see so many of you in the chat. I'm not going to go through every single one, otherwise we'll, we won't do anything else. But um, I wanted to just apologise for the delay as well in getting this post-match podcast out. Um, I promise that they'll be with you in the mornings. And unfortunately, uh, the train strikes in London had me all over the shop this morning. I mean, I knew they were coming. I knew that they were coming. So really, I probably should have been better prepared. But I got in an Uber to go to work this morning, to come here, to come to the 90 Min studio where I still am. Uh, that's how much of a crazy day it's been. Um, and yeah, the, the the rail strikes have just messed everything up. I tried to get in a in a cab to go to the closest tube station, which is normally a 15 minute drive. And I ended up sitting in the back of that car for about an hour. Uh, then I got to uh, a station where I was changing trains. And that was all messed up as well. Those trains were supposedly running, but obviously they weren't running on time. It has been an absolute shit show today, but it's given me more time, I guess, to process what I saw last night and to kind of calm down a little bit. Because I, I must admit, look, although Newcastle are a very good side and although a draw at, in, at no point felt like the end of the world to me, I'd be lying if I said when I was walking back to my car last night that I wasn't just a little bit disappointed just a little bit frustrated with the fact that we couldn't go on and win that game, that we couldn't go on and take all three points and we couldn't extend that lead over Manchester City even further. Because recent history tells us that this Manchester City side will come strong and will come good. And recent history tells us that the margin for error, if you want to finish above them, is very, very small. Now, I guess the counter argument to that is, are this Manchester City the same Manchester City that have dominated the Premier League? in recent seasons, or are they a little bit more fallible? Are they a little bit weaker? And the answer is, at this moment in time, we don't really know. But I think watching Mikel Arteta on the sidelines, watching him get visibly frustrated, um, you know, made me feel as though he felt it was a big opportunity missed. And that starts to impact on my thinking. Probably shouldn't, but it does. Uh, just a little bit. Look, let's talk about the team. Um, the team was exactly the team I'd have picked. I was a little bit concerned about Arsenal's left-hand side from a defensive standpoint. I wondered if Kieran Trippier and Miguel Almiron as a combination were going to prove uh, too hard to handle for us. I wondered if that was going to be our undoing. I looked at that Newcastle midfield. I said to you guys, it was very combative. And I, I worried specifically about... Um, uh, about, of course, Joe Willock's runs from from deep and, and how he can sort of impact the game uh, in the way that we've seen him do for Arsenal, uh, albeit in the Carabao Cup and Europa League mostly, but he certainly did do that. So I was a little bit concerned about sort of certain elements of our side and how we would handle and cope with Newcastle United. But I thought from a defensive standpoint, we actually did really, really well. Um, Zinchenko was obviously going to drift into those infield areas. He was obviously going to tuck in alongside Thomas Partey and play that inverted fullback role that he's done so well uh, for Arsenal since arriving. 
there wasn't really a specific plan to deal with Miguel Almiron, despite how good he's been in the Premier League this season. I think nine goals to date. Mikel Arteta decided that Arsenal were going to play their game. And I guess that's a good thing. Um, you know, Bukayo Saka up against Dan Byrne on the other side was something that I was kind of rubbing my hands together at the prospect of. I felt like Saka could really get the better of him. And he did get the better of him um, on a few occasions. But it probably wasn't often enough for me. And I think Newcastle deserve a lot of credit for the way they doubled up on both of our wingers. Because by his very high standards, not only was Saka a little bit um, uninvolved or less involved than we'd like him to be, I think you could say the same uh, for Gabriel Martinelli on the other side as well. Um, so that was a problem. You know, the midfield was very was very good. Our midfield I'm talking about, I thought their midfield was pretty good as well. I thought their midfield was strong. I thought their midfield played decent football when they got themselves on the ball, albeit they were defending a lot of the time, but were very tough in the challenges. You know, Bruno Gimaraes, a player that we were heavily linked with, really biting hard and and putting himself about. And he had a really interesting duel with Granite Xhaka. And then there were yellow cards flying about and all sorts. I thought it was a fiercely contested game. I really did. And, you know, you kind of want to see that in football, but you also want to see the game refereed, you know, fairly. And, and perhaps more than fairly, you want to see, no, not more than fairly, but perhaps equally as important as it being refereed fairly is having a referee that's strong enough to deal with a match like that. And I don't think that Andy Madley was. I think he was poor from the off. I think he reached for his pocket way too soon and he created a rod for his own back. And then he had to dish out yellow cards after pretty much every foul for a, a period in the game. Every time there was then a follow-up foul, everybody would be gathered around the referee, both sets of players, trying to get their opponent booked because Andy Madley had shown that his tolerance level was very low. And then he then had to, of course, be consistent in the way that he dished out the cards off the back of that. And I don't think that helped the game because it caused the game to be bitty. It caused the ge it caused the game to constantly be disrupted. It caused it caused the game to constantly be stop and start. And that suited Newcastle, who were obviously content with the point, who had come there quite happy uh, to leave with something and quite happy to leave with just having given a good account of themselves. Now, the shithousery that we saw from Newcastle, you know, the assistant coach throwing the ball away when Arsenal wanted to take a quick throw as Bukayo Saka approached it. Jamal Lascelles, I think it was, the Newcastle captain, uh, Newcastle substitute, I should say, um, stepping in front of Thomas Partey when he was warming up uh, to prevent him taking a, a quick throw into the penalty area. All of that shithousery is fine by me as long as the referee deals with it and as long as the referee makes it clear that there will be punishment and there will be consequences for that. But instead, we had an incredibly weak referee and all the talk post-match is about Mikel Arteta's conduct because he appealed for a penalty kick against the rival in the 92nd, 93rd minute, quite strongly. The talk should be about how bad Andy Madley was. The talk should be about how the Premier League, the PGMOL, the people responsible for the referees, appointed someone who just wasn't up to the task of handling a game in an atmosphere like that. Now, do I think that the handball was a stonewall penalty? I understand why there were such strong appeals at the time. I appealed like mad at the time. 
even though I was working and was supposed to be mutual. I, I, I just lost it. It happens. Um, you know, that's why I shouldn't put me on Arsenal games. No, I'm joking. I love doing them. Uh, but the the appeals were very strong within the, with the stadium and absolutely should be because, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to gain that smallest uh, advantage. The other one, the, the foul on Gabriel, uh, do I have a, a massive issue that that wasn't given? I, I, I do have an issue that it wasn't given, but I guess there was one in the first half where Dan Byrne was also pulled down by Gabriel, maybe six of one, half a dozen of the other on both of those instances. If you want to be really sort of forensic in your analysis of those situations. But it's funny because I came away from that game obviously disappointed that we didn't get a penalty and obviously disappointed that we didn't then go on and win the game as a consequence of that and off the back of that. But actually, um, I was more pissed off with the way the referee just was so out of his depth and that was so clear for everybody to see. Why couldn't we break Newcastle United down? We certainly played enough passes in between the lines. We certainly were positive at every opportunity. We certainly uh, gave it a good go. We certainly moved the ball quickly, sharply and concisely at certain points, um, which is what you want from the team. It's what you ask of the team. But I think um, we just came up against a really good defensive unit. And I think a couple of our players on an individual level just weren't quite at their brilliant best. And that's not to slate them or criticise them. You know, they've been performing at an incredible level so far this season. You're not going to get that every single week. But I think the big issue for Arsenal and the big takeaway for me uh, from that game is, you know, we we need reinforcements. And it's it's not because we didn't score. This was the first time that we'd been stopped scoring in the Premier League this season. So I'm not sitting there going, oh, my God, you know, um, we can't score goals. We've got a goal problem. We've, you know, we've we've got major, major issues and the team needs major, major surgery. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that when it was very tight and it was late on in the game, Mikel Arteta, in my opinion, appeared reluctant to turn to his bench. He appeared reluctant to go, yeah, you know what, you could potentially come on and change the game for me. I'll throw you on. Instead, I think he worried that some of the options he had were going to come on and weaken the team. And that shows you that the manager doesn't have all of the tools that he would like at his disposal. He said in his uh, post-match press conference when I was sitting in uh, after the game that we can't afford to waste transfer windows. A squad in this shape, in this size, you know, as it is currently in its current form, cannot afford to waste transfer winners. And I think he's absolutely spot on with that. If we want to continue progressing, we have to continue investing. If we want to continue investing, we have to continue identifying the right players uh, for that to be sustainable over a period of time. And so far, so good. We've been able to do that. You know, we've been able to bring in top quality players. Last January was a big disappointment for a lot of people. And a lot of people put our eventual capitulation and our eventual falling off in the race for the top four down to that. I I still believe that the club were right not to panic by at that point, because I think if they did, that would have reduced our ability to go out and get the players that we ended up getting in in the summer that have made the world of difference and taken us up to that next level. But 
you know, when you look at it this time, we've got a, a really good opportunity to you know, forget the title talk for a minute. Okay, let's let's park that for a minute because it is really early. Yeah, we'd all like to talk about it. I fell into the trap on New Year's Eve uh, of believing, of starting to say to myself that actually, you know what, there's a chance here. But, you know, that's that's your emotions. That's your feelings as a fan kind of taking over. The truth is that actually what we have a massive and major opportunity to do first and foremost is to secure Champions League football, which is the first step in getting this club back to where it belongs. And that's among not just English football, but European football's elite. We need to secure Champions League football. And I'm not saying that we're not going to with this current squad, but my God, how much would we bolster those chances if we could then go out in January and bring in players that are going to enhance the group and help the squad. Mikhailo Mudrik is the one everyone's talking about. I've sort of been mad, crazy busy today um, and sort of been reading and following along with what some people are saying. You know, rumours, suggestions that Shakhtar have rejected that second bid or are preparing to reject that bid. I mean, I don't know how difficult it is to say no. I don't understand why they need to prepare to reject a bid, but that's people trying to drive clicks as they do. We will talk about transfers in a lot more detail tomorrow. We'll dedicate the show uh, to transfers and maybe I'll come up with my January shopping list or something along those lines. But, you know, it's just the lack of options available to Mikel Arteta at the moment. And I know you'll say that, well, we've got a couple of injuries in the forward areas, more than a couple. You know, we've got Jesus out and Smith-Rowe still not fit. And of course, Reese Nelson is out. But let's say that Reese Nelson was available. Would he have changed the game? Would you have looked at him last night and gone, you're a game changer? Probably not. Um, the, the point is that in, in the modern game, when you're playing so many games and, you know, the calendar is as crazy and as packed as it is, you're always going to pick up injuries. So if you can't live with two or three injuries within your team, you ain't going to achieve anything. You need a squad. It's so, so important. And the sooner we can get that business done, the better. The other thing, though, to consider, and, and a lot of people will probably think I'm talking out of my ass, and, and, you know, I get that quite a bit. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Mikhailo Mudrik is, in a lot of people's eyes, the answer and is the one that we should be breaking the bank to sign and is the one that is going to represent, you know, the, the best and smartest move moving forward and someone that can be a real key part in the Arsenal project moving forward. But is he going to be at his best for Arsenal right from the off? Or is it going to take a bit of time? Is this a signing that Arsenal are looking to make with the hope that he can supplement the attack a little bit this season and help us out, but that the best of him is yet to come? Yeah, of course it is. You know, he's 21 years old. We're talking about a guy who, if I go to his, uh, bear with me, stats by club, he's only played 44 times for Shakhtar Donetsk. Like he's by no means an experienced operator. He's by no means someone that is going to um, you know, single-handedly get us over the line and carry us towards the, um, the the Premier League title. He is someone that has a lot of potential, has a lot of ability, and we hope will develop into one of the world's best footballers, one of Europe's best footballers. But he's not there just yet. Can he help? Can he give us a couple of moments over what remains of the season? And maybe that will be enough. Yeah, fingers crossed, that will be the idea. That'll be part of the reason that Arsenal want to get him in in January. But part of the reason will also be so that he can settle in and be at something closer to his best when we kick off next season. Arsenal are building. If Arsenal don't win the Premier League title this year, it's by no means the end of the world. You're talking about a side with the average age um, against Brighton the other day of 24. 
an average age of 24. This side has got three, four, five, maybe six years uh, to go before it hits its peak in a lot of in a lot of positions. Yeah, there are a few players touching 30 or just over 30, but the core of it is still really, really young. We need to get back into the Champions League. We are in a position where we're competing for the Premier League title. And yes, now we should be aspiring to hopefully try and achieve that. Of course, you always want to try and achieve the maximum. But when you have minor setbacks last night, you have to pause, think about where you are. Because we are in a really good, strong position. We are moving in the right direction. But it does feel like if we don't bring in those reinforcements, if we don't manage to just bolster the squad a little bit, and I'm not talking about bringing in five or six. I'm talking about one, probably need two, three if we're lucky. You know, that's that's what we've got to be looking to do here. We've got to support Mikel Arteta and reward him for the excellent work that he and his team have done so far this season by giving them what they need and the additional tools that they require to sustain this level of performance, to sustain this challenge that we currently are putting up against, um, you know, obviously Manchester City and everybody else in the running, if you believe there is anybody else uh, in the running. Again, look, we'll talk about transfers more tomorrow, but sort of going back to the game, you know, I just, I just thought we came up against a team that, were very well versed, very well drilled. Have proven throughout the Premier League season that they're incredibly difficult to break down. Uh, we limited them to very little, whilst creating the majority of chances ourselves. And one of the big features of Arsenal's game over the course of uh, this season and and in the good periods last season was our ability to come out of the traps fast. And we did exactly that. When I was making my notes as I was watching the game uh, for my reports, I think I noted down that we had three really good sweeping counter-attacking moves and then subsequent opportunities inside seven minutes, eight minutes tops. And you think to yourself, if you take one of those and you get your noses in front, the game is completely different. Just as the game was different when we scored early at Brighton, just as the game has been different on numerous occasions this season when we have got our noses in front nice and early and shell-shocked our opponents. So, yeah, nil-nil draw is not ideal. Um, it wasn't the result that we hoped for, but it's by no means a disaster. It's a result that, see that, that saw us extend our lead over Manchester City by an additional point, having gained uh, two points on them uh, at, the, uh, at the weekend on New Year's Eve when they were pegged back by Everton. And now it's over to them. You know, they could potentially lose at Chelsea on Thursday. And if they lost at Chelsea, then we'd have gained yet another point on them. And then you look at it in a very different light. People say, and people said to me, well, you know, we have to beat Newcastle because we've got Spurs and Man United to come. You don't know what's going to happen in those Spurs and Man United games. I always cite that example of last season where we dropped points at home and then we went to Stamford Bridge the following game and won it. And if you'd have reversed those two fixtures round and the outcomes of those two fixtures, the four-point total and the return would have been something that most people would have been pleased by and content with. But what happens is is you you look at a game, you decide how many points you should get from it. But actually what matters and what I've always said is that you should group periods of games together, set points targets. And if you fail to, to hit the target that you set for that individual specific game, you can make it up within that group of fixtures. And ultimately the return is the same. So, yeah, I thought that 
although we weren't at our best and although we struggled at times to, to break them down and didn't create as many opportunities as we know this Arsenal team can, we never panicked at any point. We never lost our heads. Some would argue that Mikel Arteta lost his head. Um, but we never lost our heads as a team. We never overcommitted. We never went gung-ho. We knew that we were in a position uh, to be able to take a point and actually be okay with that because of what had happened in recent rounds of fixtures and because of how good and impeccable our record had been up to this point. And I think Arsenal showed some maturity in the way that they kept pushing and, and continued to try and find the breakthrough, but without being the naive, uh, really sort of kamikaze uh, a team that we've seen them be in the past when they've been chasing three points. So signs of encouragement for me more than negatives. And, and I think that that is something that people should... Um, I should get on board with as well. I think that, you know, yes, the, the one thing that I take away from the game is that Mikel Arteta probably doesn't trust in some of those players uh, on the fringes uh, as much as we do. But, ugh, sorry, he doesn't trust them. And yeah, we don't trust them either. And and I think that's why there is a, a real feeling that we need reinforcements. But Mikel Arteta didn't try and back the squad. He didn't try and pull the wool over anybody's eyes by suggesting that actually this squad is more than good enough and more than capable. Instead, he was very open and clear about the fact that actually we do need to bring players in and we can't afford to let this transfer window go by uh, without doing anything if we want to uh, continue where we are, if we want to continue to be right at the top of the Premier League and if we want to continue to challenge for the title and, and hopefully wrap up a Champions League place um, without it going down to the wire. So, yeah, those are kind of my... Look, there, there wasn't an awful lot to discuss from the game. I've, I've shared my opinion on the penalty appeals. Um, I think Newcastle were shithouses. Newcastle defended really well. I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. But I think Arsenal deserve credit for playing quite well in large parts, but also showing that level of maturity when it maybe wasn't going their way, not panicking and making sure that they, at the very least, uh, kept that unbeaten run going and, and focused on, uh, on making sure they didn't throw the whole thing away. I think that's really key. I think that's really important. I thought the penalty appeals, as I said earlier on, I thought the one on Gabriel was more of a penalty than the handball, but I do recall one in the first half. I know people keep saying that Dan Byrne found, fouled Gabriel. It was six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I guess, you know, Gabriel having got away with that one and it, where he did clearly pull the Newcastle player's shirt, probably can't really complain about it not going his way the other end. He has complained, by the way. He's gone on Twitter and shared a video of it, which I kind of love, um, you know, back your team and all that. But yeah, the, the whole thing about Arteta, the whole debate around Arteta, you know, was he out of order? Did he cross the line? We had that debate on the 90 Min show. And my view on that is simple. Whenever, whenever anybody else does it, it's passion. It's a love for the game. It's a desire to win. It's a willingness to go that extra mile to try and gain the smallest advantages for your team. But when it's an Arsenal manager, when it's Mikel Arteta, it's the worst thing in the world and he should be disciplined and he's a disgrace. Just doesn't wash for me. I don't care. I love the passion that Mikel Arteta shows. I love the way he cares and I love the way he fights for his players. Um, had a little exchange with Eddie Howe as well. Both of them said post-match that, you know, it was it was nothing he at the moment. Words exchanged, but that's that's that. Both were very complimentary of each other in their post-match press conferences as well. Okay, let's take a few of your questions. Let's see what you guys are saying. 
uh, for the last few minutes in the chat box. And then I'm going to attempt uh, to try and get home in the midst of uh, the train strikes, which are a nightmare. As I said, it took me an age this morning and I was going to go home and do this podcast. My my initial plan was come in, do the do the 90 min show, uh, do a bit of admin, get back home, sit down, record this, chat to you guys about the game last night. And then I thought to myself, but then if it does take me a couple of hours to get home, if I do end up getting really frustrated, am I going to have the same enthusiasm to sit down and record a podcast after that? So I decided to stay here, do it. And then, of course, I'll uh, make my way home. Um, and then once I get home and go sleep, do what I want. But anyway, um, OK, let's take some of your thoughts. Let's take some of your questions. Uh, Diagene says, I believe we missed Emil Smith-Rowe yesterday to create chances in a different way. Don't you think so? I certainly agree that Emil Smith-Rowe is a different type of attacker to Martinelli, especially on that left-hand side, and to Saka as well. He's less of a... I don't want to call them pace merchants because that's suggesting that they only have pace. But he's less explosive than those two. He is a little bit more technical, in my opinion. He's a little bit more creative in his mind, in the way he thinks, in the way... He looks to thread balls through for other people. I think his movement is a little bit more subtle and that can allow him to drift into areas without always being picked up. Um, and we saw him do that to good effect in the first half of last season. Yeah, we we, we miss having options. And Emil Smith-Rowe is definitely a good option and a different option to what we currently have. But this is the thing, you know, we we can't get caught up by this. You know, we can't. We almost can't rely on Emil Smith-Rowe right now because his injury record has been so poor over the last couple of years that you're kind of looking at him and you're like, well, you know, if we do manage to get him fit, you know, it's a bonus at this moment in time. Mikel Arteta, I think, will be well aware of that. I think that's why he probably feels he needs reinforcements. Otherwise, if you know Jesus is back soon, if you know that Emil Smith-Rowe is, is back soon. If you know that Reese Nelson is not a million miles away, then you might argue that actually we need to reinforce in other areas. But the fact that Arsenal are going so big in trying to bring in an attacker suggests to me that Mikel Arteta knows that because of some of the questionable fitness records of those in and around the club, because Reese Nelson's future at Arsenal is up in the air, he needs to bring in more. He needs to do more. We certainly do miss Emil Smith-Rowe. We have missed Emil Smith-Rowe. Martinelli's been playing so well that I think he, he's almost gone under the radar for a while, uh, has Emil Smith-Rowe. But when you cast your mind back to, as I say, the midway part of last season, you would remember that he was incredibly effective. And so, yeah, we are missing him, but I think we're missing options in general. And I'm not sure that his style is something that we're specifically missing. I think it's a different style and it's always good to have different tools and different uh, skill sets at your disposal and, and different players who who suit essentially different games. But I, I just think it's a lack of options, generally speaking. I, I'm not really sure what Fabio Vieira is. Um, you know, is he the number eight? Is he the, the, the wide player? Is he the Martin Odegaard? I, I don't really know. And I don't think Mikel Arteta knows yet. And um, the only way I could have seen him coming onto the pitch yesterday was in one of those wide areas because he certainly isn't combative enough or physical enough to have been thrust into that midfield in a game like that, I didn't think. But obviously, Mikel didn't believe that he could impact the game to a higher level than the two he had on the pitch at the time. And so he was overlooked. And the same for Marquinhos. And that, again, highlights the need 
to go out and bring in different options. Emil Smith-Rowe is one of those, but can you rely on him? And even if you can, is that enough? I think Arsenal and Mikel Arteta probably believe that it isn't and they probably need a bit more. Okay. Um, uh, David Luma says, how come, sort of sticking with the, the, the conversation on Fabio Vieira, how come Fabio is not getting much game time when we paid a pretty penny for him? Yeah, um, you're right. I, I'm surprised. I think when you go and spend £35 million on a player or whatever it was that we probably didn't think was a priority at that point in the window um, and then you don't use him, it is a little bit surprising. I wonder if part of the plan was to kind of let him just bed in and that we're going to see more of him maybe, you know, from the beginning of next season. I, I really, it's, it's hard to say. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. But um, yeah, it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense unless he's come and, and Arsenal, Mikel Arteta haven't been as impressed with him as maybe the scouting videos kind of showed them. I don't know. I don't know. Ayan says, I would have been more okay if it were at St. James's Park, but can't stomach that draw at our home. Do you think... Vieira's attacking prowess would outweigh the possible defensive frailties. Um, no, I don't. Because I just think Newcastle defended so well that Fabio Vieira, Bruno Fernandes, uh, you know, whoever you want to put in there, Bernardo Silva, I think all of them would have struggled to break down that back line. So it's not a slight on Fabio Vieira that he wasn't brought on. I think that you just look at it and you go, well, I'm not totally convinced about him but I'm looking at a defence that is incredibly difficult to break down. And my best chance of doing that is with my best attacking players who were all on the pitch. Peeny Wynn says, uh, would the Mudrick signing alone be enough uh, of a jam for us to be satisfied? I'm sure that there will be fans out there that aren't satisfied if that's the only bit of business we do. But the club, in order to sign him, look as though they're going to have to drop in excess of 60, 70 million pounds onto him. So, in that sense, the investment, I think, would be enough to be satisfied by. But what we got for that investment may not be enough if he's the only one that comes in. And that's where my worry and slight concern is. Uh, let's see what else we've got. I'm just going to take a couple more. Um, Harry, do you think Eddie Howe is now a better tactician uh, than he was previously? Or has he only got more cash to buy better players? So. Um, I was thinking about this last night. Is Eddie Howe a better tactician than he was in the past? I think you've got to say he is. I think you've got to say that he has taken some time out and he has improved as a coach and he's obviously done his homework and he's studied and he's researched and, and he's improved himself. Um, because I can't remember any of his Bournemouth sides being even remotely competent defensively. They were always great going forward. They were always highly entertaining. I think I've read somewhere that they were always in the top four teams in terms of goals conceded in, in the seasons where he was in charge of them. And he had resource there. He did spend money there. People often talk about Bournemouth and how they overachieved. They did to a degree. They did in terms of the size of the club, but they certainly did invest money. And, um, and, and he couldn't get it right defensively then. So to now see him do it at Newcastle, yeah, of course, he's got good players there who defensively are very solid and have formed quite a, a strong unit but he's still got to have improved as a coach, I think, to get them to that point. So fair play to Eddie Howe, because I do think he he has improved. Yes. Uh, 
Okay, guys, I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to attempt to make my way back up to North London. Um, yeah, let's see how we go in the travel chaos. Uh, but thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Don't forget, uh, members on the Another Slash platform, there's another piece of content coming your way tomorrow morning. Uh, got a couple of subjects in mind, so I'm going to drop one of those uh, for you guys bright and early uh, it'll be before 11 a.m i say bright and early before 11 a.m uh, for you guys to access and then we'll be back around lunchtime as well for our transfer show uh, which we will do right here on the youtube channel that'll be available on all platforms to everybody uh, if you're a youtube member and you want to make the move across please do because eventually we're going to be turning the youtube memberships off really really appreciate all your help um all your love all your support it means the world to me and um and I'll be back very, very soon with more. I'll see you all soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.